0: Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32, and then please remain standing for prayer. Paul says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that we have your revelation to us. Now it is our job to be students of the scriptures, to study, to show ourselves approved unto you. Uh, Lord, help us to be workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing your word. Help us to uh, cut it straight, to interpret it properly, so that we can then make the application that would transform our lives. Help us to understand, Lord, in the text that we look at today, exactly what you were saying, exactly what that means, and then how it applies to us. And Father, help us to be conscious of our own ten- ten- <clears throat> excuse me, tendency uh, to be inconsistent in the pronouncements that we make of right and wrong. And we ask your blessing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be Um, two, last week I started having a, a cough, and I forgot to announce. I'm going to do this again today. I'm not going to greet folks after, and it's not because I'm being antisocial or because I don't love you. I uh, just I do love you. I don't want to give you my sickness, so I'm going to preach from a distance here, and then right after the service I'm going to go hibernate. Um, and if you need, you know, you, if you don't have my cell number, if you need to communicate with me. Or send me an email. I I try to make myself available to everyone. So if there's anything you need to talk to me about, please communicate um, as soon as you need to. Uh, But that's why I will not be shaking hands at the end. So two weeks ago, last week again, we focused on Thanksgiving in preparation for Thanksgiving. Uh, Two weeks ago, we began part one. And today we're going to do part two on the double standard. And we started in Matthew 18 So I want you to just look at this briefly. This will be an introduction. Matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 23 through 35. It starts out, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. Now we we notice that the term double standard goes back to the 18th and 19th century and it referred to what was called bimetallism and it was simply a monetary system that was based upon two metals a double standard gold and silver that was the double standard so for example when you look at Matthew 18 the story and this is what we did last Sunday we saw that there was a king someone owed the king 10,000 talents that's an old form of of uh, monetary value 10,000 talents and the person could not pay it and the king had mercy on that person that owed him this very large amount, and he forgave him. That guy then turned around and found someone that owed him a hundred pence. Now a hundred pence, a pence, or the Greek is a denarii, is a whole lot easier to define than a talent. Because a pence was simply a day's wage. For the Roman soldier, for many common worker, a pence was one day's wage. So a hundred pence is easy to tally. The talent was a little more difficult because it does not say there was... It was a weight of measurement, and it depended on if you're talking about, again, 10,000 talents of gold, which would really be high, or 10,000 talents of silver, which would still be really high (laughs) and impossible to pay, but not as bad as the gold. And So that was technically originally in the 18th and 19th century. That's what double standard was. (coughs) Now it has come to mean something different, and so we're going to look at three things. Let me give you the outline, then we're going to jump in, we'll pray. Um, Because this was, Matthew 18 really is a perfect example of the double standard. It's somebody, the guy who owed the king an insurmountable amount, and then was forgiven, that that same guy would then turn around and force someone who owed him a lot less to pay him back. That's a double standard. That's not consistent. He had just been forgiven this enormous amount, and then he turned around and did not use the same standard of mercy that he received. And by the way, don't miss the illustration there of the application Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like that scenario. If you've been forgiven your sin, you have been forgiven an eternal, enormous amount. And anybody that offends us in any way, it's minute in comparison to how we have offended a holy God. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you and I have been forgiven this massive amount, who are we to then go around and, and you know not forgive someone for what they've done against us? And if you get hold of that, it can help you have great victory. The problem is we magnify the offenses against us, and then we tend to minimize our offense against God. So, double standard, let me give the outline. Three points we're gonna look at. It's gonna be each one is explains what a double standard is. Number one, the double standard is inconsistent judging now again we've heard everyone quotes Matthew 7 1 judge not that ye be not judged and so many people think well all judging is wrong anybody that judges is a bad person you're mean we all judge and that statement needs to be kept in the context it's not saying that it's always wrong to judge but a double standard is when we are judging inconsistently Number two, a double standard is not holding yourself to the same standard that you hold others to. That's a double standard. And then thirdly, the double standard is often the tool that exposes or reveals our own failures. So many examples in scriptures of someone that wagged the finger at someone else, said, you sinner, this is horrible, and in reality they were guilty of the very same thing. So we're going to see this this morning. Let's bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing. Father, help us this morning to grasp the Scriptures, to understand what you have communicated to us and what has been the lifeblood and the health and the the vibrancy of the church for, for millennia, that we have looked at your Word and studied it and arrived at truth because you've communicated it to us. So help us to do the same so that we might be consistent in our own lives and that we might judge ourselves before we judge others. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> so the double standard is, again, it is, number one, it is it is inconsistent judging. Now I want you to go to First Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 5, I have quoted this so many times, you probably have it memorized. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. And by the way, the the, the many texts that are taken out of context, for example, Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged. He then went on to explain what he meant by that. And he was not saying, don't ever discern and call something right and wrong. Because in that same text, in Matthew chapter 7, I think it's verse 15, he says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. How do you know them? You shall know them by their fruits. So in the same text that he says, don't judge, he also says, examine fruit, judge fruit, be a fruit inspector. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, this is an important statement. And again, it's not saying all judging is wrong. Keep it in context. Look at verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have, praising, uh, have praise of God. So the double standard <coughs> is not saying don't ever, 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 ever judge. No, it's telling us. First of all, we should not judge when we don't have all the facts. Remember, judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes. He's going to bring things to light, and then shall every man have praise of God. So it's not. Uh, it's not. Ba- so double standard <coughs> is not. It's not basing right and wrong on God's perfect consistent, omniscient consideration of all things. God's going to (coughs) judge. And by the way, there is right and wrong. There's behavior that's right, there's behavior that's wrong. There's things that are right, there's things that are wrong. And when you, every day, when you and I make those judgment calls, haven't you ever said, that's not right? or Can you say, I promise I have never, ever said that's not right. I don't think anyone could say that. Because every day we are making judgment calls on things. And we're saying what's right. That is awesome. That is great. Yes, that's that's wonderful. Or no, that's bad. <coughs> so, the challenge is that... um. There are things, I'm sorry about this, I was hoping I would not cough, and I sang my heart out thinking I'd be all right, that seems to trigger it. <coughs> so I will never sing again. It's not wrong to condemn wrong actions. I want you to imagine this scenario, okay? I want you to imagine <coughs> that you approach someone, you're walking up to two people, and and there I am, and I have a knife in my hand, and I'm getting ready to stab someone you're seeing this (coughs) and i say to this person i hate you and i am going to kill you and they say oh no don't i've never done anything against you and i say i know i am going to kill you anyway and then you see me stab that person multiple times and then, as I'm in the middle of killing them, I turn to you. And you look at that. What are you going to say? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not, who am I to judge? you going to say that? Now, you might say that if you're afraid that I'm going to hurt you, right? I mean, that's happened many times where somebody's harmed someone else, and they're the only ones that are there, and they saw it, and so they fear for their own life. <coughs> but there's enough to say, folks, murder is wrong. Would you agree with that? The taking of an innocent life is wrong. Now that creates all kinds of questions. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And then Jesus, in one of those, uh, in one of the interpretations, he says, thou shalt do no murder. Because is the taking of innocent life, or is the taking of a human life always wrong? What about capital punishment? Right? Is, is that ever right? And there's so many scenarios. Now the, the scenario I presented, I tried to make it very clear that that person, you know, I was not defending someone in that situation. That was like an outright murder where the person acknowledged they didn't do anything wrong and we take their life. So we make judgment calls. And that's not what's being condemned here. First Samuel 16 let me get in fact if you want to turn there turn to first Samuel 16 so the idea of a double standard is we're not consistent in judging or we don't have all the facts or we don't understand what's going on behind the scenes we don't know what someone's motive is for doing something uh, there are certain things you know that are just outright wrong murder is wrong but I just presented a few scenarios that imagine you know um, We don't know everything that's going on, and there's questions that need to be asked until you get all the facts. That's the idea of judge nothing before the time. So look at this example, 1 Samuel 16. (coughs) Samuel, uh, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, that's King Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? He was so he was the king, and he he failed miserably, and God had removed him or disqualified him. Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his son, sons. So God was now getting ready to pick the next king. He had already picked him, and so he said to Jesse, or he said to Samuel, "You go to Jesse, and uh, I'm going to show you who the next king is." And Samuel was very afraid because Saul knew. Uh, you know if he catches me or you know anointing the next king he's gonna kill me and so God kind of conceded and said okay ha- call Jesse to come to the worship for the sacrifice have him bring his sons so that takes place and and they've got the sons lined up from the oldest almost to the youngest <coughs> the youngest wasn't there the youngest was David and he was tending sheep but all the rest of the sons were all lined up. And as soon as Samuel went, he looked at Eliab, who was, who looked like the stuff the kings were made of, you know, whatever that would be. Probably very muscular, very look. He had all the outward qualities of being a leader, so much so that Samuel looked at him and said, pointed out Eliab, the, the very first one in line. He said, "Surely, the anointed, the Lord's anointed, is in front of me. I know who's going to be king." It's clearly Eliab. I mean, look at that guy. He's got king written all over him. And then we find God's statement in verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And then here's a principle. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That idea of judging things based only on appearance was exactly why many people condemned Paul. Because apparently his appearance uh, was not what people thought it should be. And, and Paul even said in Second Corinthians 10.7, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? And they did. And that's the Tendency. <laughs> and by the way, the idea of looking at things on the outward appearance isn't just like okay, I see this guy Eliab. He's got the physique and the demeanor, his walk. He just seems so kingly. Uh, but the idea is of judging based on the outward appearances is judging on what only what you see. That's again why Corinthians one Corinthians four or five says, judge nothing before the time. In other words, there are going to be things. Where you don't know someone's motive, you don't know why someone does something, it says, until the Lord come who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the the counsels of the heart, someone's motives, then God's going to judge. But we don't always know why people do what they do. And no doubt, folks, there's been a lot of things that you and I have either praised or condemned based on how it appeared and God sees something quite different. Sometimes we tend to exalt people because of the outward appearance or what we think their motives are, and we think, oh, that, that person is so godly. That person is so meek. And yet the family members that know them most would say, Oh, no, 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 no. You don't know that person. And so that's the idea. It's not saying that judging things is wrong, it's saying keep in mind. That we don't have all the facts, and so, by the way, um, this this old-time preacher from the eighteen hundreds made this statement. He said, "Do not then spend the strength of your zeal for your religion in censuring others. The man that is most busy in censoring others is always least employed in examining himself." Not good. Thomas Ly said that. Don't spend the strength of your zeal for your religion in censoring others. It's not saying you can't say that's wrong and that's right. He's saying don't be consumed with just going around and condemning everything and everyone else because when you do that, the person that is most busy in censoring others is always least employed in examining himself. So, I came across a criticism a while ago. In fact, this was 10 years ago that I wrote this down, so keep in mind this quote is going to be aged, um, but it's something that I, it's one of those things that's, they're not condemning to death somebody that violates this thing that they're being exhorted. But it's something where somebody communicates an opinion and I agree with the sentiment. You may not. It's when people sing the national anthem for for a ball game or something. And in fact, I forgot to write down who said this, but I, I used it in a sermon in 2011. So if I, I start reading this, you're know, like, oh, he's read that before. Well, I forgot that I read it, actually. But here's this this person, whoever it was, is exhorting the pop star of today that is singing the national anthem. And again, I, I, I totally agree with this sentiment. This person said, so with all the kindness I can muster, I give this one piece of advice to the next pop star who is asked to sing the national anthem at a sporting event: Save the vocal gymnastics and the physical gyrations for your concerts. <laughs> Just—I think someone else agrees with that. Just sing the national. Uh, just sing the song the way you were taught to sing it in kindergarten. Straight up, no styling. Sing it with the constant awareness. That there are soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines watching you from bases and outposts all over the world. Don't make them cringe with your self-centered ego gratification. Sing it as if you're standing before a row of 86-year-old World War II vets wearing their purple hearts, silver stars, and flag pins on their cardigans. And you want them to be proud of you for honoring them and the country they love. Not because you want them to think you are a superstar musician. They could see that from the costumes, the makeup, and the entourages. Sing the Star Spangled Banner with the courtesy and humility that tells the audience that it is about America and not about you. I thought that was good. I mean, isn't that good? Amen. You know, you're singing it. Uh, again, I love that last statement. Sing the Star Spangled Banner with the courtesy and and humility that tells the audience that it is about America and not about you. Now again, many of you are shaking your head. You agree with that. We, those are the kind of things, folks, where we make judgment calls all the time. And we say, you know, I, just, I think that's wrong behavior. I think this is right behavior. And you and I are entitled to do that. In fact, you know that in John chapter 7, Jesus said this, John 7, 24, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right there are things that are praiseworthy and there are things that are worthy of being condemned now in our day the worst thing you can do is to say that some someone else is wrong and and that's it you're not allowed to have an opinion and yet The people that have an opinion are being condemned for having an opinion, and so somebody's condemning someone else and violating their own standard. Now, turn to Romans chapter 1, please. So, first of all, the double standard is inconsistent judging. We all do it. We need to be aware of that, because someday... God is going to, again, He will make everything will be made manifest. All the hidden things are going to come to light. All the motivations and counsels of the heart are going to be brought out. And then, in the final judgment, everyone's going to have praise of God or judgment based on what really is. So, now, number two, the double standard is not holding yourself to the same standard that you hold others. Romans chapters 1 through 3 is the doctrine of uh, the whole the whole book of Romans is talking about justification and the first 3 chapters talk about condemnation that we are all condemned under God's law and in chapter 1 it lays out the condemnation of the gentiles the the irreligious people to the Jewish mind and so in the end of verse chapter one, and by the way, keep in mind. Please keep in mind that there was no chapter divisions of one and two when Paul was writing this letter. In fact, for the first fifteen hundred years uh, since the time of Christ, the Bible was not didn't have chapters and verses. That was in the fifteen in fifteen fifty one when Stephanus started to um, put verses. So keep in mind. When you and I go to heaven, we're going to meet like Christians that were alive for the first 1,500 years. And our conversation, you imagine this. You you meet someone from the year 1100. And you start talking about the scriptures. And you say, oh, my favorite verse was Philippians 4.13. And they're going to be like, Philippians 4.13? What's Philippians 4.13? I mean, they know what Philippians is. But imagine that for fifteen hundred years they didn't have scripture. You know they didn't have verses. It was just all one letter. So chapter one was followed by chapter two without that distinction. So here's here's what Paul's doing. He's communicating to the Jew, and he's he's writing all the qualities of the irreligious person, the Gentile, who by the way had the law of God written in their heart but did not have the oracles of God given to them. So look at, again, (coughs) Romans 1, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, just the opposite of the Jews, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, and he just starts listing all these sins that were typical of the Gentiles. The irreligious. He's doing this for a reason because he's about ready to turn the tables on the Jews, and he knows exactly how he knows how they operate because he was one of them. He's ready to kill anyone that was part of the church. So here, he's given all this list, and then he wraps it up in verse thirty-two: "Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things, such things are worthy of death." Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And you can imagine the audience reading that and going, Oh, these disgusting people. Backbutters, haters of God. They're despite proud. They're disobedient. I mean, they're just, you can see them. He's, he's kind of brought them along so that now they're condemning other people. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore. Thou art inexcusable, O man. whosoever thou art that judgest for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. And, and he's, he's turning the tables, and he is condemning their actions. Verse two, but we are sure of the judgment of God as according to truth against them who commit such things. Look at verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? See, they're sitting there pretty comfortable at first, wagging their fingers, saying, those those Gentiles are despicable. They, are, they have no thoughts of God or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Paul turns the table on them. And verse 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, leadeth thee to repentance. You realize, folks, that every action we condemn, that some of them, folks, were things we did. And God saved us. Some of the people that we condemn, if we are in such a case, might be people that end up getting saved. And their sins are washed away. But when we condemn someone, it's like we're not giving room for their repentance. In fact, look, look how God views it. Verse 5. After thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Look, jump down to verse 21 of chapter 2. Romans 2, 21. <coughs> thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery... Dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorst idols, does that thou commit sacrilege? You get the idea. See, the double standard, folks, is when we condemn others and we don't hold ourselves to the same standard. That's exactly what we saw last two weeks ago. That's what Judas did. Remember when Mary came and broke and wasted that expensive ointment to anoint Jesus? And all the disciples are there, and Judas says, What a waste. That that perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. Now let's just look at that. If we were back there in the, you know, judging by appearance. I wonder how many of the disciples heard Judas say that and thought, You're right, Judas. There's that Judas again, always thinking about the poor. Such a kind, you know, he's he's so practical. Now, we know, based on that context, that the Bible said, he didn't say that because he cared for the poor, but he was a thief. See, he was condemning something that, in a sense, condemned his own sin. And, of course, we know the story of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, after he had committed adultery and then connived to have Bathsheba's husband killed, Nathan came along and told the story of the sheep you know, a neighbor who had many, many sheeps and flocks, had some guests coming over, and instead of taking one of his own flock, he took the neighbor's only she- uh, pet sheep and slaughtered him. And that little scenario, which really didn't happen, but it was basically what David had done in taking Bathsheba. And you remember after Nathan got David to to sit on his judgment seat and say the man that did that should pay back fourfold and he should die and then what did what did nathan say thou art the man now i'm convinced folks the bible says by our words we will be justified and by our words we will be condemned and i'm convinced that all god needs to do on judgment day is replay our own words of pronouncements against other people. Because we can do it so easily. And then God will show us now. See how you're condemning this person? Listen to where you did that. And, and we don't even see it. Just like David. And so, let's go to Matthew 7, our last point. Number one, the double standard is inconsistent judging. Number two, the double standard is not holding ourselves to the same standard that we hold others. And then thirdly, the double standard is often the tool that uh, reveals or exposes our own failures. (coughs) When you and I don't have a clear conscience, we don't have the ability to discern in others if we do not have a clear conscience. So look what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 2. Remember what verse 1 is? Judge not that ye be not judged. And then let's look at the context. Look at verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And then he gives the example. Why do you behold the mote or the splinter that's in your brother's eye, and you don't see the beam that's in your own eye? Thou hypocrite! First take the beam out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the splinter out of someone else's eye. Again, the the, the point, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, the the standard that you and I use to condemn others is all that will be needed to condemn ourselves. James put it this way in James chapter 2. He said, he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. Remember the story of the, 10,000, the man who owed the king 10,000 talents and couldn't pay it? What did the king do? Forgave him. Have you been forgiven of all your sins? That's an amazing thing, isn't it? The fact that you and I could be forgiven all our sins. It's amazing. Now the more you realize how much you've sinned against God, the more amazing it is. And how can we go and turn around and condemn someone that's done less than we've done against God? And yet that happens all the time. Real quickly, let's go to to number 16. I want to close by looking at this example of someone that did just that. Someone by the name of Korah. Korah, in number 16, beginning in verse 1 and following, rose up, and rebelled against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. God had clearly called Moses and Aaron to lead his people out of Egypt. Now, let's understand something. Both Moses, Aaron, and Korah were all Levites. Now remember, uh, the Levites were the, the unique tribe that God had set apart for ministry in the Old Testament economy. So, he chose his priests... He chose the people that were part of the temple or the tabernacle. He chose the musicians. All of them were Levites. Now, of them, one group of people, the descendants of Aaron, were going to to be the priests. So, all priests were Levites. But not all Levites were priests. For example, Korah of the Kohathites, his father, he was one of the... The people in charge of music, song, and and the music of the worship. And and it was a very big honor, but he was not of the priesthood. And apparently that really rankled. Because God had called Moses and Aaron to do the things that I think Korah and Dathan and Abiram wanted to do. So, look at Numbers chapter 16 verse 1. Now Korah the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, so they're all Levites, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Pilah, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Now look at verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, Seeing all the congregation are holy. Do you understand what they're accusing Moses and Aaron of? Pride. Self-exaltation. In other words, who made you in charge? All the people of Israel are holy. We don't need someone to stand up above them all. And in reality, folks, it became very clear. That's what he wanted. He wanted that position. So again, he says... Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. He was charging Moses and Aaron of arrogance and pride when in reality he was the one that was guilty of it. Now you know the story without going into great detail. Um, they had a showdown uh, both uh K- Korah, Datham, and Abiram, and then the 250 princes were all going to meet in front of a temp- uh, certain place with censers and incense. And then God was going to supernaturally reveal who the approved ones were. You remember the story? And Korah, and Datham, and Abiram, and all their families, the earth opened up and swallowed them. And then fire came down and destroyed the 250 princes that were along with them. And God made it very clear. I am the one that is called Moses and Aaron. And this was a rebellion. In fact, it's talked about later on in the New Testament. In, um, in Jude 11, that's 1,500 years later, the Bible says, "Woe well, one of them, it's talking about the false teachers, the false apostles of the New Testament church, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. That's going back to that example there. So the challenge is, the double standard, folks, is when we pronounce judgment on something and we're not consistent, and thereby condemn ourselves. I want to close with an example that uh, has come to the forefront in my mind. <clears throat> there is a, a popular YouTuber, um, a group of people that actually have gone around doing great good, kind of, I've mentioned it before, um, and the person that started it all uh, is, uh, it came out a couple weeks ago that this person uh, has done very abominable things to a child relative many years ago. Uh Abuse. Very horrible. And um, all kinds of people have come out now. And, and you might be here, you'll probably be hearing about this in the news probably this week because his trial and, and appointment with the judge uh, is tomorrow, I think. You'll, you'll probably see this. But it's interesting to me because all kinds of people, properly so, are standing up and condemning that, that man's actions. Abusing a child is wrong. And one of the people that was was condemning him um, talked about, I guess he had a background in in prison, he said, he talked about the code, the code. And uh, he said the code is, he said you can, um, the prison code, I guess it's called, you can be forgiven for anything, even murder, but you don't lay a finger on a child. Now that's interesting, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, he said, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I am grateful to hear people condemning, harming an innocent child. It is evil, is it not? But here's what's interesting. I wonder how many people that adopt this prison code, again, that um, you can be forgiven for anything, even murder, but don't, don't lay a finger on a child. I believe, folks, that harming a helpless, innocent child is reprehensible. I wonder how many of those same people that are pronouncing judgment on this kind of action have in their past and, and by the way I, I think many of you are following me right now but then if you know where I'm going there will be people that will immediately turn it off and not have the ability to put two and two together. So I wonder how many of those people that are rightly condemn that action of harming an innocent child who cannot defend themselves wonder how many of them have encouraged their wives or girlfriends to kill An unborn, innocent, helpless child in the womb. I think that is one of the greatest double standards of the world. So many people rightly condemn. You don't hurt little children. Amen. But what about the most littlest, helpless children in the womb? That cannot, even, that is even worse than assaulting a little child that can't fight for themselves because they're so little. Here you're taking the most vulnerable of society in a mother's womb. By the way, if, ladies, you are with child, think of that phrase, then we're not just talking about, well, my body is my own. Yeah, your body is your own. But if you're with child... That means there's some other human being inside you. And so don't give me this. Well, this is a woman's right to do with her body. No. There's a child in there, an innocent life. But I'm convinced so many people will not see that double standard. They will properly condemn, hurting, assaulting a little child. And yet they will not see the inconsistency of what is going on wholesale in our country. Again on judgment day folks. That's all it will take. Their pronouncements. Against this YouTube guy. Uh, Adventures with purpose. If you, I've mentioned it before. A great. Amazing how this group started out. and uh, You're going to hear all kinds of people condemning the actions of the man that started it. Rightly so. But I wonder how many of them that are condemning this action are going to be consistent in their condemnation. All of us, folks. Our tendency is to, to really pronounce judgment on things and then not be consistent because we're unaware of how we may have done the same thing. May God help us. What did I close with this. David said in Psalm 139 and verse 23, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Is that your prayer? That you would see your own sin before a holy God. Because that's where we have to begin. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, help us. Help us in our pronouncements. And we all make them. But Father, we make them so much quicker when we're condemning other people's actions that we do not judge ourselves and father i pray knowing that judgment must begin at the house of god that the, those of us that name the name of christ must begin by seeing our own double standards seeing uh, justifying ourselves by comparing ourselves with others father i help i pray that you would help us to humbly Judge righteous judgment as Jesus told us with a keen awareness that we ourselves have transgressed against you. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.